Welcome to our fourth podcast. My name is Sonia Collator and I'm the host of The Color of Us. This podcast is intended to amplify the voices of multiracial and multicultural youth as well as educate regarding issues impacting this community. Here we highlight expert perspectives as well as members of the community to produce educational content in the hopes of fostering needed conversation. Welcome to The Color of Us. I'm incredibly honored to introduce today's speaker, Dr. Shonda Buchanan. Dr. Buchanan is an award-winning poet and educator, a USC Los Angeles Institute for Humanities Fellow and a Department of Cultural Affairs City of Los Angeles Master's Artist Fellow. Dr. Buchanan is the author of five books, including the award-winning memoir, Black Indian, which won the 2020 Indie New Generation Book Award and was chosen by PBS NewsHour as a top 20 book to read to learn about institutional racism. An educator and journalist for over 25 years, Dr. Buchanan has freelanced for the Los Angeles Times, the LA Weekly, AWP's The Writer's Chronicle, Indian Country Today, and the International Review of African American Art. In addition to her work as a literary activist, she's also a senior lecturer of African American Studies at Loyola Marymouth University. Thank you, Dr. Buchanan, for being here. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Thank you so much for having me, Sonia. I am also equally as excited. To start off, I was wondering if you would be willing to discuss growing up as a multiracial youth, my age or younger, and what experiences and struggles that came with. Yes, so when I was around your age, and I won't actually ask your age, but I'm assuming somewhere in the teens or somewhere around that time, I would say probably from about 15 to 20, I constantly got the question, what are you? And uh, you're mixed with something, aren't you? It made me doubt my sense of self, sense of identity, my sense of, but I'm okay. I'm a human being. It doesn't matter, you know, if I'm mixed or not. Uh, but then the other thing is that my family would say it, you know, we would say it to ourselves. My mom would say, you know, you're mixed with, you know, black and Indian and German and French and a little bit of black, you know, I mean, she actually, my mom would say you're mixed with the, so her setup was you're mixed with Indian French, German, and a little bit of black. And it, when I got my DNA back, it was the other way around. It was a lot of African, uh, no French, no German, but definitely some Scottish and English like ancestry and then a little bit American Indian, but at least I have my percentage. I have my knowledge that I have my full blood American Indian ancestors, seven generations back, full blood African ancestors, second, two and three generations. And then I have full blood European literally from England ancestry, but I don't race um, journeys in which we existed in the early parts of this country for, for the people who are um, in history classes, your, 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 your peers who are in history classes. Now, you all are probably studying American history. Maybe you're studying something about the Indian Wars. Um, maybe you're studying something about enslavement, but you're studying all this in separate pieces or separate chapters and no one is really talking about the intersections of those cultures and what it actually looked like at the beginning of, uh, quote unquote, the beginning of the formation of this country or in Jamestown or in Massachusetts or in those kinds of places. But there were, the American Indians were here first 
and they were the ones to trade with, to welcome, or to fight with the Europeans who came, and then they were the ones to trade with, welcome, uh, and then work with the Africans who came. So there's so much intersection that we don't talk about. But as a kid, I didn't know any of this history. I didn't know any of this. It was just like, you're mixed. And it was, and in my mind, I was like, yeah, my mom says I'm mixed, but who are those ancestors? So it was, it's been a long, rewarding journey to try to find them. That's so wonderful that you've been able to go on that journey. And that's something that the goal is here for the color of us to be able to have that space for multiracial youth to be able to find themselves and how they identify. Now, you mentioned that your ancestral origins are African and American Indian, and that's influenced who you are as a person. What do you see as the connection between the social and historical experiences of those two populations? Oh, it's so rich. So for Africans in the, on the continent, because Africa is a continent and it's not you know, a country, um, the monolithic um, experiences that they have had have primarily dealt with colonization. So um, you've got, in terms of North Africa, you've got many different nationalities, many different tribes, same with West Africa, East Africa, South Africa, the Congo, Central, um, Central Africa. In America, North and South America, I had a Cuban, uh, when I was in Cuba to say to me, I said something about, oh, America. He said, you mean North America, not South America, not Central America, right? We have to look at our geography when we're looking at the, the, the intersections of, of our people. And so I think as Africans and, and indigenous people, we have both been oppressed. We have both had to fight for self-identity, autonomy. We have both had to struggle to among the, those who would, who would keep us down, oppress us, enslave, um, uh, create a, a kind of a genocide or paper genocide, erase us, um, you know, in attempts to erase us, which we know that, that has happened in many instances. And I actually give lectures and talks about, um, about the, the history and, and the, the actual erasure moments when they, they attempted to erase us and our mixed raciality. But I think that the first, the first on record unit, like moment of unity between Africans and indigenous people happened in the 1500s in Hispanola. And a Spanish governor, an, ensla an enslaver, recorded how the indigenous people of Hispanola, which at the time was Haiti, um, once they got free, they escaped the, the, plan the plantation that the Spanish governor set up, but they came back to free the black, the African slaves who were there. First moment of unity. And I think that that has continued with us. We recognize each other. We recognize our struggles and we want to work together to uplift each race. And then also because we have become family, we've become relatives. Thank you so much for sharing. I read in a previous article that you shared that you began to write poetry around the age of eight and use poetry as a way to express yourself in a world that wasn't very accepting of the emotions of multiracial youth, particularly multiracial girls. How do you think that words and language can be used to express the multiracial experience? Mm, in such a variety of ways. Words and language can be used to, to fight back. Words, uh, language, stories, short stories, essays can be used to define who we are. It can be used for people who are silenced in other um, white spaces, in classroom spaces, in um, predominant spaces that deal that don't cater to young girls to women and once we write something we are taking a stand we are inserting our voice and our language and our um, and 
I don't care if people call me emotional. Yes, let's ins- insert emotions. Emotions can be a strong asset Absolutely. into, you know what I'm saying? Into the converse, the public conversation that would deny us. And the, the reason why we have to insert our voices and we have to speak up is because people will ignore us or they'll run over us or they'll speak for us. They'll try to put words in our mouth. Uh, I actually have a poem that deals with um, uh, talking about mixed raciality and how the the U.S. census created so many different facets of our selfhood and how literally they were trying to put language and words and um, uh, 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 whiteness into our mouths. And we have to fight that. We have to fight that. So that's why I think writing and um, uh, um, making sure that in some way, shape or form, we have a voice in what happens in this world are important. In your book, Black Indian, you wrote about the challenges your family experienced trying to balance being of multiple races. Could you explain more about those challenges and how they were related to the larger experience of being multiracial? So um, my book definitely deals with the multiraciality It also deals with the inheritance of um, being multiracial. So what it meant for a lot of us in, um, as mixed bloods, it meant that we had to one, hide who we were. Uh, Sometimes there were, you owned your your wife or you would, particularly for men who were Indian or African or, or free people of color is another name that they called us but you would have to own your family to keep them out of chattel slavery, which is an egregious thought, you know, having to purchase the woman that you love and then also having to own your own children. Um, But I also think um, my book deals with that sensibility of the things in the past that we didn't talk about, like erasure, like um, the feeling of being illegal, as a mixed race person. Also the feeling of the hiding part. Another thing is if you, if, if you were an enslaved woman who had a child who was a mixed child, black or mixed Indian um, or mixed white, that child could be taken and enslaved. That child could be taken and bonded out, which is also slavery, but they call it a bonding or an apprenticeship. So like you would hide these things so that your children would be taken from you. I think that my family enacted the, the legacy of, of that, of the hiding, of the illegal, um, the feeling of being illegal, the feeling of obfuscation. Like we have to, don't tell people who you really are because something can happen. Someone can show up at your door. Someone can take your property, your house, your kids, everything that you worked for. And so those are the things that I think my family, um, uh, even though we're just a beautiful, I like to call us a tribe of elephants, you know, we're just beautiful and loud and caustic. So we kind of, we kind of um, enacted that, that legacy of, uh, of abuse and violence that, um, that, we, that was happening in the earlier part of the formation of this country. As a general question, what do you see as the intersection between race and culture and how do you think this influences conversation about multiracialism that should also be inclusive of multiculturalism? Oh my gosh, that's such a fantastic question. I want to make sure I'm answering 
all of it. So, so ask me the question again, because there were three parts to it. I want to make sure that I'm getting answering yes, each one. Of course. So the first part is what do you view as the intersection between race and culture? And how does this influence our conversations about multiracialism in ways that are specifically of multiculturalism? So I see those intersections existing, uh, we'll just say that when mixed race pe people of two different races fall in love and they have a baby, and then suddenly you've got a child who's of these two different cultures and um, two different belief systems and having to deal with two different kinds of stereotypes. And I mean, there's so many like um, uh, intersectionality moments, you know, where it's not um, this or that, it's this and that, right? Uh, so that's a place when you fall in love as a, a, a couple of two different races and you have a mixed race baby. That's one intersection. Other intersections are when people who didn't grow up in the culture try to find the, the, the heritage and try to find the history. So, for example, I did not grow up a native speaker of any of the languages of my nations, the Kahari, the Eastern Band Cherokee, the Choctaw, Delaware Cherokee. I only learned the language later, like, you know, osio, wado, you know, like, thank you, how are you, matakuyase, um, which is Lakota, you know, for all my relations, like, these are things that I've had to learn on the trail. I have had to put myself in the place of intersection. I've had to physically show up to ceremonial grounds and to say, I have this ancestry, how can I participate to honor my ancestors? And that's another place where we get to we get to intersect, you know, and then the negotiation of space and the negotiation of personalities and, you know, that that becomes a different a different part of it. So that's another place where where you can and, and should intersect. And then also when we are in our classrooms. That is the optimal moment when you can bring in multiple literature to show those kinds of intersections. Um, many people have been writing about mixed raciality for many, many years, uh, and it's a scholarship. We call it a scholarship now. So, for example, Leslie Marmon Silco, uh, one of her award-winning books, Ceremony, talks about a mixed race, uh, a Lakota and, and a white man and his struggles, his spiritual struggles, actually, being of two races. Um, my gosh, of course, my book, Black Indian, that the struggles of, of multiraciality. Um, there's so many, there's so many books out there, but I believe is the educator's um, opportunity, but also the word that I wanna, I don't wanna say um, it's a must, but I, I, I do want to say that there are more multiracial people in your classrooms than you know. And in some way, try to cater to that. Don't just teach white history. Don't just teach black history. Don't just teach you know one segment of it show how all of this intersected show it because we need it we need it for our own selfhood we need it so we can make sense of our lives so we can interact with our peers right and that we don't feel denigrated when someone says what are you mixed with are you you're not really fully black are you or you're not really fully indian start the conversations in the classroom that is a, that's a really important place where we can intersect culturally uh to understand multiraciality most definitely. In my own experiences, I've definitely become familiar with an education that doesn't include multiracial lenses. Um, in what ways do you think education should be restructured to become more inclusive of this lens? So I did give a talk to the Michigan Department of Education in January, and I did this whole deep dive into K through 12 books 
that are of color that should be included in the curriculum. I also did a deep dive for um, books that can be included in your first year of college, right? And then I could actually do books and materials, not just books, because it's more than that now. We have to think digitally. We have to think um, uh, inter uh, movies and entertainment and, and podcasts and those kinds of things. So, so I do believe that we can change the lexicon of multiculturalism and we can change the lexicon of acceptance of multiple races in, in people in our classrooms in a positive way if we change our syllabi or enhance our syllabi or, or add literature that does not look like you if you are a white teacher, if you are a white educator, add many, many, many books that don't look like you from all different facets. Um, so, so I do believe that we can do that. And the thing is, some educators hide behind their field of expertise. So for example, if they say, I'm a geologist, what, there, there are no black geologists. And I'm like, beg to differ, sir, you know, <laughs> beg to differ. Or I am a molecular scientist. There are no, no scientists of color that I could teach in my classroom, beg to differ. Um, you could go back to Akhenaten. You can go back to Egypt. You can go back to, you know, so there, there are so many ways if we re-educate ourselves, if we retrain our educators, if we really, really talk about diversity um, in, in, in our classrooms and where to find that. There are so many places where you can find um, inventors of color, scientists of color worldwide, not just America. I'm not just talking about America. I'm talking about China. I'm talking about um, the of color people in like Amsterdam, you know, like black experience, brown experience. It's worldwide. It's everywhere. We just have to search for it. We just have to want to do that. We can't hide behind our fields of expertise anymore. As a last question, at The Color of Us, the mission is to raise awareness, foster connection, and conversation, as well as elevate the voices of multiracial and multicultural youth. As we conclude our conversation today, is there any advice that you would give my generation of multiracial and multicultural youth? Write your own stories. Start now. Start writing poems. Start writing short stories. Start writing personal essays and getting those published. Really start to tell your story. Flood the market with young stories of color making decisions for you. And I like to say in my classrooms that I know that you're going to be my next leader. You all are going to be deciding things for me. So I want to know what you're writing. I want to know what you're thinking. You know, start now, start now, start telling your stories. I'd love to help. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Buchanan. It was so wonderful getting to speak with you today. I'm so excited. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening and welcome to The Color of Us. For more, check out our website at www.thecolorofus.org and to keep up with our social media, follow us on Instagram at underscore the color of us and LinkedIn at the color of us.